If you have your Bibles this morning, um, hopefully you grab your physical Bible. Turn to Acts chapter 4. Um, we're going back to Acts. We were in Acts at the beginning of the year. If you're new to our church, because you know this online experience has allowed you to do that, uh, welcome. We were in Acts when we started uh, the year, and we actually ended right here. Now, I don't know if we're going to go back to Acts next week. I can't tell you that. I don't really know the future anymore. Um, but there's something here that I think our church needs to sit in uh, right now, in this moment, um, as shelters extended, as people have been losing jobs, um, that I, I that I think we need to pick up where we left off. And uh, I, th- I really feel the Spirit's leading us right here. So if you have a Bible, Acts chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 23. Now, our text is actually verse 32 through 35, but I want to gather a little context before we get there. Acts chapter 4, read along with me. You can read out loud if you want to. It won't bother me. Uh, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. So the disciples were together after being persecuted, and they got in a room and they started praying. This is their prayer. Quote, Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. This is Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, this is their prayer still, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. It's like one of my favorite prayers in the entire Bible. Stretch out your hand, they say, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Very next verse. This is our text. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he had owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, I, I pray that this text would be like a lens by which we can see what you might want to do in our church in this time. Specifically in this time, Lord, where there is need. Where I, you know, Lord, just months ago, we, a lot of us actually didn't have the needs we have today. But it feels like all of us are carrying some need here this morning. And I, I believe that it's your desire that your spirit, your grace, your, your presence would be so at work in our church that we can honestly say there is no need among us. Make it, make it be, Lord. May it be so. Um, teach us something about that. Inspire us. Even challenge us even. We invite that as well. Now, in, through this text, um, and anoint me uh, to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah, so today what I would like to do is I want to talk about what it would look like if we can say as a church community 
there is no need among us. That during a global pandemic, and with the current unemployment rate in California being one in five, our church could honestly say, as we look around at each other, there actually isn't a need among us in our church right now. And not because of subsidies and not because of loans, but because the grace of God was so at work among us that God was leading us through his spirit to see our possessions differently and to see our brothers and sisters in Christ differently. And I think that's the hope of our text. It's a passage of scripture that inspires us and I believe must in some ways challenge us as well. So let's look at this this morning. Now, I wanna start with what this text is not saying. I think this is important. I wanna clear up confusion so that, that the full weight of the text can hit us. So I'm gonna clear up some confusion right now and I'm gonna do a little thing on like what this text is not really saying. Um, it seems at first glance, this text is talking about Christian communism, right? It, it's like everyone, like the, the early church shared a common purse that everyone draws from, um, that the early church didn't have any personal property, that the early church, uh, the, the, like the apostles in the early church acted like a socialist government, handing out the common money to whoever needed it most. It looks like uh, extreme socialism or communism. Now, there have been socialist governments that have drawn on this text to prove their system and idea. There have been some religious denominations that have done the same thing. Jim Jones and the People's Temple that started here in San Francisco and ended in the Jonestown mass suicide in 1978 is one such example. But according to this text, how are we supposed to think about our personal property and our wealth. Three things are important to point out here. First is this, selling land and giving money away in the early church, according to this text, was entirely voluntary. Later, um, in, the, in the very next verse in chapter five, there's that famous story of Ananias and Sapphira who sold a piece of land and brought the money to the apostles, but they lied about how much money they sold the land for and they kept back some money for themselves. Now, at first glance, you're thinking, oh, you, 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 uh, you're supposed to give all your money. You're not allowed to keep any of money for yourself. You're supposed to get, so God judged you and killed you. That's not actually what the text is saying. The reason why they were judged, and it's a pretty harsh, heavy text because God does judge them, is because they lied. Listen, look at the text. Chapter five, verse three and four. Ananias, this is what Peter says to Ananias when he hears, uh, when the Holy Spirit prompts him and gives him a word of knowledge about what they did. Ananias how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Now listen to this. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? Now this is what this means. Believers at this time didn't have to sell their land. It, just, it was it's up to them. Like, didn't the land belong to you before it was sold, Peter? Like you didn't have to lie about how much money you sold. It's your land, not our land, it's your land. And not only that, they were, he was able to do what he wanted to with the money. After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? After it was sold, couldn't you keep all the money yourself? What is that to us? It's not, God's gonna take care of us. We didn't need your money, but you lied to us. And that's, that's the point. I mean, that's a whole different sermon, maybe later, I don't know. But, but the point is this. The early church, if they were to sell property, if they were to give money, it, all of it was coming from this impulse of the spirit, 
not because they had to, not because when you join the church, they require that you give 10% and they require that you sell your property. They require that you live off a common purse. That is not what's happening here. The second thing we have to learn from this text is that private ownership actually continued in the church. So we can't look at people that own houses, like look down on them like they weren't obeying the spirit because there were a lot of people in the book of Acts that own homes. We know that Lydia owned a home later on in Acts. Mary, the mother of John Mark, owned a home. We also know that people met in homes for meals and churches were planted out of homes that were owned by disciples. So what was not going on here was a denouncing of private ownership and private bank accounts in favor of common ownership and common bank accounts. That's not what's happening here. The third thing I'll say is that selling land, selling you know, um, family land, which was kind of you know, an extreme thing to do, and giving them money was based solely on need and it was sporadic. It didn't happen, it's not like every single person that had the church all of a sudden got rid of all their property. It happened as need happened. Look at verse 34. For from time to time, that phrase time to time in Greek is in the imperfect tense in Greek, which means it's a continuous action that happened in the past. So they did this and they kept on doing it. From time to time, those who own land or houses sold them and they brought the money and the sales and they put at the apostles' feet and they distributed it to those who had need. So the meaning, this what this means is that the, the church gave based on sporadic need. When a need arose, people would, would, would give the money they had. And if no one had any more money, someone with land would go, the Spirit's leading me to sell my land and give it to those who have need. So what this text is not saying is that the early church was a Christian communist community that didn't have any private property or any private homes. So we, I think we have to approach this text knowing that God is not after you like selling all your stuff right now, okay? So just don't hear that like that because if you hear it that way, it's gonna rob you of the weight, like the beauty of this text. Because listen, what's so beautiful about this text is because they didn't, they didn't have to do it. God's power was, was so at work in this church. There was great power, great grace, and great generosity flowing that everyone saw what they owned differently. This is what we learned from this text. First, um, this is the second time in Acts where we read about the generosity of the church and both times it follows that the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. This is important. Look, um, look at chapter, in chapter two, if you remember from like 100 years ago when we were in chapter two. Um, in chapter two, the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, right? The Holy Spirit came, Pentecost, right? Came upon the church. Verse uh, four, chapter two, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. And then at the end of that chapter, it says this, all the believers were together and had everything in common and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So they were filled with the Spirit, and then all of a sudden they started sharing everything. That, those two things are connected. And look here, our text this morning, verse 31. And they prayed, and the place where they were meeting was filled, filled and shake, was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly, and all the believers were in one heart and one mind, and no one claimed that their, any of their possessions was their own, and they shared everything they had. The connection between the Spirit and a commonality, a, um, a sharing, a generosity is no accident. Both times the Holy Spirit falls and both times it leads to this generosity of heart. What we are to read these texts as saying is that the activity of the Spirit is doing all of this. 
This is the Spirit moves people towards generosity. The Spirit does this. Now, how does that work? How does it, what's the Spirit? How does the Spirit work in our lives in such a way to make us generous? Well, we find it in verse 32. Look at verse 32. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. When the Spirit descends and fills our lives, we get a right way of thinking and seeing our stuff. We realize that our stuff, our homes, our bank accounts, our jobs, our lives are not our own. We don't lay claim to them anymore. Possessions don't possess us. We learn by way of God's Spirit that where we're trying to go and get to in life, you can't get there from here. Here being making a life of stuff, comfort, and security. You can't get life, stuff, comfort, and security by getting stuff. The most comfortable people will tell you that they are not comfortable. And when the Spirit falls, like truly falls, and fills all the spaces that were left empty by the stuff we acquired and the money we have, we realize all that stuff is not ours. And we can let go now. We can stop hoarding. We can stop grabbing onto it to find a life. We can let go and we can realize that there's hope in God's kingdom. There's a kingdom coming that will not be shaken and we will not be shaken if we hold on to that kingdom, but everything else will be shaken. Now, of course, we're running into the idea, the biblical concept of stewardship. That's, that's basically what we're running into right here. Stewardship is a word that we don't use anymore. It's a word our parents used in the churches they were a part of, right? We don't use that word. We like the word generosity. That's our buzzword for today. Like generosity is a word. Be generous, be generous. No one talks about, hey, be a good steward. We don't talk like that anymore. But we actually need both of these concepts. We need stewardship and generosity working together. If we're gonna get what God wants to do in his church right now right, we need both. We need stewardship and generosity. Now stewardship is the idea that everything you have really belongs to God and he has entrusted it to you to care for and steward under his lordship. So you make $65,000 a year, God has entrusted you with that money so that you could take it and, and invest it rightly in his kingdom by taking care of obviously your, your, yourself, your, your church, the people around you, like to use that money, not just for you, partly for you, but to steward it rightly. You have a house, you have a car, you have stuff, you have an inheritance, whatever. It, you're entrusted, you, you are given that to steward by God. Now, the key operative word there is under his lordship. Now, business people, entrepreneurs, um, people who are really good with money love the idea of stewardship because they know how to make a lot of money. So they make a lot of money and feel like they are being good stewards because God gave them an ability to make money and they're using it well to multiply what God has given them. And I think that's fair and half right. It's right, but it's only half right. See, if you are a good steward, if you are, and we have a lot of very, 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 um, by global standards, even by area standards, very wealthy people, if, you are, if you've been a good steward, but you're not generous to those in need, you're not generous to ministry, 
to your church that you're not really a good steward, no matter how much money you make. You know why? Because the owner wants you to be generous, like him. If you're a good steward of God's stuff, God's character is generosity. So if you're really a good steward, you would be generous with your money. You see how that works? And the essence of good stewardship is doing what the master wants done with his money, and the master is generous. However, the opposite is true too. If you're like a super generous person, you're like, I'm so generous, I love giving money away, I love being generous, but you're not a good steward, you're actually, that doesn't work either. You won't be able to leverage your money very well to be generous because you're always gonna be in debt and unwise. If you're unwise with your money and you're in debt but you're generous, that doesn't work either. You don't get a pass like, well, I'm generous with that person and also myself and I'm in debt. That doesn't work either. You actually need stewardship and generosity working together. You need both, which is why we have the story of Barnabas. He was a good steward and generous. He had land, the church had need. He realized that this land belonged to God, didn't belong to him. And God told him to sell it and give the money to the church. So he did. God's grace was such a, so at work that all, I mean, all the believers realized, my stuff is not my stuff. My stuff is God's stuff. And if it's God's stuff, it's up to him what he wants to do with it. And so if I sell it and give it to the church, I'm going to be okay. Like, that's crazy. By the way, this is easy to say because you're not here. I can't read your faces. If we were really here at church, this would be a really hard sermon to preach because you'd be like, oh, it'd be crickets right now. Um, right now, I don't really care. I can actually talk to the camera. You're not here. I can't see your faces. Listen, this is, this is how God uh, grace is. This is like, if we say that our church is spirit-filled and we're not these people, we can't really say the church is spirit-filled. This is what it looks like. Now, this way of thinking that the Spirit enables is illustrated well by uh, a pastor of a church in uh, Buenos Aires. His name is um, Juan Carlos Ortiz. And he tells a story that when the Spirit started moving in their church, many members brought the titles to their homes and apartments to give to the church. The leaders did not know what to do with all this money. And after six months of praying about this, they called the people and told them that they have decided to return everyone's real estate. And this is what, this is what um, uh, Juan Carlos said to, to his congregation. He said, the Lord has showed us that he doesn't want your empty houses. He wants a house with you inside it, taking care of it. He wants everything ready for him. He wants your car also with you as the driver. Then he added, just remember though, that it all still belongs to him. That church at that time didn't need money. They needed homes open for hospitality and discipleship. That's what, that's what God needed with, his, with his church, the church's stuff. They needed people saying yes to welcoming in the stranger and the brother and sister in Christ. And the leader said at that point, they said, remember, you gave your house to God already and he's letting you live in it. So use it the way he wants you to use it. It's his house, use it the way he wants. This is a perfect illustration of what stewardship is. That house is not yours, it actually belongs to God. How does God want you to steward that house? For Bonerbus, it was to sell it and give the money to the church. For others, it's open up your home and let the believers gather in it. Now, once the Spirit does this, God puts our money 
and our property to work. God's a good steward. He knows what to do with money. He knows what to do with property. He puts his, the, uh, the church's money and property to work. How does he do that? What will God do with the money that he now has at his disposal? If 10,000 people are part of this church and, I don't know, thousands of denarii, however money, whatever money was then, if all this money is at God's disposal, how is God using this money now? He will use our money to do a couple things that we see in our text. First, he will use our money to destroy what money normally is used to create, distance and boundaries between people. Money is used to create distance from people living on the top floor to the people living on the bottom floor. Distance between people living uptown or downtown. Distance between people living in the center or on the margins. Money creates distance between the poor and the rich, scarcity and abundance, powerful and the powerless. Money creates distance. And God, once it's employed to God, he will use our money in the church to begin to tear down these boundaries. We are seeing this with our pandemic right now. Article after article, every single week I read an article about how this pandemic is going to widen the income gap. How it's going to make people with means have more means and people with low means have less means. It's going to widen this gap. But what we can say as a church is not in the house of God. Not if God has anything to say about that. That's not what God wants. And we're not talking about in a communist way or socialist way. I'm not even talking about in our society. I'm talking about in our church, which is a preview of God's coming kingdom. I'm speaking in a spirit-inspired, no-need-among-us way. I believe that's the, a beautiful dare that's before us as a church. That by God's spirit, we can say, with people I know of that have lost their jobs in our church, that there is no need among us. That when that 30-day, whatever, May, the longest month in the world, right? It's like five weeks in May this year. This year like, it's a long, like May, as it was extended and people that are not at work still can't go to work in a, in a month, as that sinks in and hits people so hard that we can still say in our church there is no need among us. That God will use our money to destroy what money causes. Gaps, poverty, distance, isolation. Now, I, I want this to lead us into a little experiment that we're going to start today. Um, and this experiment we're calling No Need. So you go to realitysf.com slash no need when the sermon's over, when our, our gathering's over, and this will be live. We're asking, this is what I'm asking everyone to do. I'm asking everyone, every single person that, that is a, uh, a part of our church, and if you're new to our church, welcome in. You're, you're part of this now. Um, you're involved now. Every single person to sit and ask God to put one person on their mind or on their heart. One person, not 50 people. For that person that's like, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna overachieve and do five people. No one's asking you to do that. And if you do that, we'll find you and tell you to stop. One person. Everyone, one person. If you're that person that goes, I, I, don't, I don't really have time. Everyone. Everyone that goes to this church, one person. Ask for a name. Ask for a face. Ask for someone, the Spirit of God, to bring to your mind or heart one person. And then reach out to that person. Reach out to them on social media. If you have their number, text them, um, email them. If you know their name but don't have contact, you can 
ask us, we might be able to connect you. I don't, we don't, we don't know. We just, we don't know how this is all going to logistically work necessarily, but we want God to put one person on your heart. And then we want you to reach out to them and ask them how they're doing right now. Like, do they have any need? Do they have a job still right now? Do, are they, how, how's their work going? Are they not working? Are they working? How's that going? Do they have any need at all right now that you can get creatively involved in? And we, we want to make sure every single person in our church gets, gets contacted. That's our, that's our hope. Now, for how to get involved in this, um, you, again, you can go to that, that website. And um, actually, I'll make sure that it's on the screen so you have the, the, the name of the website as well. And in there, we'll just say, this is what we want to do. Call. This is what to keep in mind. This is how, how. And the last thing we want you to do is bless them. That you would bless them. That you would pray for them. That you would bless them. And then if the Spirit would want you to get involved in any sort of way, whether it's financially or um, emotionally or like, like to the degree that you're able like just to be open to the Spirit, to go, God, how you want me to partner with you in creatively uh, meeting their need. Um, if, and I, I say this here, like if you are working, um, even if you're, if you're working right now and you haven't been a part of um, contributing to your church, that you would, you would start to do that. Uh, this year, I told you that I would do a sermon on money. I don't know if this is the sermon or not. I have no idea. This might be it. Um, but we're wanting, to, we're wanting to make sure, not that we reach our budget this year, but that there is no need among us. That's our hope. Our hope is that there is no need among us. Okay, so one of my favorite spiritual writers writes about how we can bless our way out of depress, depression to wholeness and delight. He writes that we can bless our way out of depression. I don't know if that resonates with anyone, if you're feeling this week, especially with Shelter Extended, uh, depressed, um, low, down. Uh, I, I felt like that this last week. It's been really, it's a challenging week. Um, you can bless your way out of depression. And the idea is that when we bless others, when we care for their needs in a non-codependent Messiah complex way, but we simply are there to bless others and willing to give to their needs, we can help lift depression from our own lives. Now, how does that work? Well, the reason why this works is that when we act like God, we get to feel like God. And conversely, when we are petty, we feel petty. See, in our text, it says that when these believers got to a place where they didn't claim to possess their possessions, but shared everything they had, it says, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. Now, the word grace there mentioned, that word there means the, the divine favor and presence which rests upon the community and which is somehow tangibly manifest. It means they felt God's grace. They felt God's grace, or said differently, they got to feel like God. They get to feel like what it feels like to be like God and be generous like God was generous. Like that God's grace was so at work in all of this. Now, I believe that there is some part we play in like lifting our, ourselves out of a funk, lifting ourselves out of a low place. I think it's partnering with God and blessing. It's partnering with God and blessing other people. Instead of getting petty, instead of getting jealous, instead of getting envious of other people, to bless our way out. Now, as, I, as we end, what would get in the way of this? 
Now, what would get in the way of this? Well, honestly, what would get in the way of this would be fear and threats. It's found in verse 29. They were afraid. The disciples were afraid. They felt fear too. When we, what, what gets in the way of this is our fear that um, we don't know what the future is going to be like. How can I give away money when I don't know what the economy is going to be like? How can I give away money if I don't even know I have a job? How can I meet other people's needs if I, if I, know, I don't even know my own needs? And we have fear. We have fear for our futures. We have fear for our security. We have fear for like the economy. There's fear in the air. There's threats. There's things that threaten us right now. Fear and threats would keep us from being generous, would keep us from being getting involved in blessing others. That's what keep, but, but look what, this is the exact same thing that happened here. The disciples were afraid that the, the authorities could take away their, their jobs and their possessions and their money and their lives. And so they prayed. They got in a room and they prayed. They're going, God, consider their threats and fill us with boldness. Notice they didn't say, consider their threats and kill them. Consider their threats and take it away. Consider their threats and bless us. Consider their threats and like do something. They didn't pray for circumstances, though there's, there's nothing wrong. We find that other places. But here they said, consider their threats and fill us with the kind of boldness that lets us act courageously, knowing that we're going to inherit a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let us be so unmoved by what, quote unquote, the future is in this life that we can give generously, radically, and getting involved in something that goes on forever. See, when we save and like hoard, everything we're saving and hoarding is going to go away anyway. I mean, literally it will be. It, it'll, it, will, it will eventually vanish. But when we invest, when we, when we give our lives to invest in God's kingdom, that is eternal. That is unshakable. See, once you realize that there is hope that is greater than the piece of real estate or a certain number in your bank account or even your future, then we can see God do in our time what he has always wanted to do through his people. And so, church, let's just pray that there's no need among us. Let's get involved in this, every single one of us. Let's, for those of us who are low, that are feeling in a funk, let's bless our way out of that. Uh, for those of us that are fearing, fearing, feeling fearful, let's, um, let's pray and wait on the Spirit to fall on us and fill us with the boldness to know that there is a hope and a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then let's just ask God together and start to pray. God, allow there to be no need among us. Let, us. let us start to get involved in the needs of all of those around us. And then what happens as like a preview of God's coming kingdom, a microcosm of God's kingdom, may that spread and spread and spread. And that's exactly what we see here. It started, you know, in their church and then it spread and eventually it spread all over Rome, spread all over the world. This can happen today. And I believe this can happen in our lifetime. I think there's an opportunity before us. Let's pray. Lord, I, I pray that you would, um, that great grace would be upon us all right now. That great power would be upon us and great generosity would be upon us. As we, um, as we know that we are inheriting a kingdom that cannot be shaken and that you care so deeply that um, the person that is also watching this right now, that you might even right now be putting this person on our mind or on our hearts by your spirit, that you can use us to bless, that you can use us to meet needs, that you can use us to partner to walk alongside, to encourage. And I pray, God, that the things that 
could happen and do happen in this community would spread and it would be a sign of hope to those around us, to our city, to our state, to our nation, to our world, and that you would do that in your church globally right now. May the great grace fall upon your church. In Jesus' name.